Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Say hello and thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, I've got a good show planned today. You know, a lot of times we talk about certain issues, and then those conversations breed more conversations. So, um, what we're going to talk about today is is land back and kind of let's call it land back options. Uh, how do we go about this? And and the reason I want to have this conversation is one of my friends and uh, and a previous guest Paul Winnie reached out to me because he listened to the show that we talked about um where we talked about land back and that movement being something that you know clearly involves you know the Dakota and Lakota out and uh, that were protesting um at Mount Rushmore when Trump went out there well, you know land back lane you know there's there's this it's a it's a movement that has been going on for a while um and it, it begs the question, how do we go about this? How do we, what are the options? What are some of the ways that we can go about reacquiring lost land? And there, you know, there are some, you know, some things that are, that are put in place, but then there's also some, some ways that, that have been done um, that are, are probably a little bit outside, you know, what, uh, what people think of as a, as a normal process, if there is such a thing. So let me go ahead and uh, I want to introduce uh, Paul Winnie. I want to thank, uh, thank you, Paul, for coming back and joining me on the program. How is Daniel? Good. Good to be here. Well, some of you may recall, I had Paul on when we were talking about um, going, um, uh, going out to Gowanus, uh, Avon, New York, to to protest the um, the solar farm that they're they're trying to put there and and to and to make a statement and uh, and Paul was was the main organizer for that um, and I got to say you did a tremendous job you uh, it was organized pretty well especially you know considering we're in this pandemic and you know, and you know, there, there there were so many obstacles that you had to overcome to to do what you did. But you you found yourself that that after the after it was all done and you know it was kind of a successful event, you you found yourself like many of us do, like all right now what? <laughs> those were right. your those were your words, right? So uh, and 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 again, I think we it does beg the question: How do you confront in that like in that situation? This solar farm is being built on what was um, a Seneca village and and a prominent Seneca village. So what would it take to, to reassert a presence back there? And, and that's, that was one of the questions that you had for me. I mean, I don't know, give, me, give me your thoughts as we, as we start this conversation on where your mind has gone on some of this. Yeah, I thought the rally 
was good for attention getting, but some of the things that I did didn't speak about directly was that lands claim thing when I was talking to the papers and the TV people and the emphasis that Canawagus was a two square mile reservation that was um, uh, lost during the 1826 treaty of Buffalo Creek. So the lands claim of that non-ratified by Congress treaty was kind of like what I neglected to put on the front burner um, during that uh, that rally, but that's where I'm left with that. Like, how do how do we continue that argument to get that back? Well, and, I, the, other, and the other reservations down there, so to speak. Well, and and you asked the question like. Who gets who does this? I mean, uh, you know, we we get caught into this thing. Is it is it the nations? Is it the the elected councils, the traditional councils? Is it, is it the Confederacy? And what role do we play as you know as individuals in trying to further some of the, these causes? And I, and I think there's there is there are options out there. And um, and I think that's what I'm hoping we can we can talk about a little bit. Yeah. And, and to be clear, most of what people um assert as treaties ha- are are very very flawed they're not just flawed because they were flat out broken but they're flawed because they the ratification process is is um suspect not only uh i mean it's very suspect on on our side because do we did we ever have individuals according to our ways who were authorized to make these kinds of deals? I mean, did, did a chief or a uh, Rayana did, did they did they have the authority to make these kinds of deals? And I think there are many people who are quote unquote Longhouse or you know Guyana Goa you know uh, followers who would say no, none of those things are legit because they they all operated outside unless we assembled and uh, and those people who you know put their X on a on a deal had had it gone through a process a legitimate process involving clans and you know three sides of the longhouse and all that other stuff we we could argue that that none of it was legitimate but the other thing is as you were indicating it's also not legitimate on the other side they weren't properly ratified by the u.s either there are um some of these so-called treaties that the state made that they simply didn't have any authority to make and so what happens is you get you get federal um treaties that they say well we're going to recognize the new york treaties well if they weren't legitimate how do you recognize something that was illegitimate in the first place so there's there is not proper ratification oftentimes on either side and i, and I go right back to canadagua on this uh, you know and, and so it, it, you know from the very beginning of some of the the treaties that were entered into or claimed to have been entered into uh, many of them are, are are suspect and and even though we were always petitioned for these. We never asked for these treaties. These were always something that that were imposed upon us um, as a means. In fact, in one one of the um, the the Mohawk words that is used to describe a treaty, loosely translates that we give up our land. I mean, they, because that's what all of these deals were. They were, in some ways, yeah, they were the the acknowledgement or the recognition of uh, of set boundaries. But those boundaries were were severely taken in. I mean, it was usually the the, the major land sessions, um, and some language that articulated what lands we were going to keep. So, the, the treaties are very very difficult, and 
and there is no question that that the legitimacy of the treaties, the the actual language of some of these things. Look, there were not just treaties; there were leases, like for that were sometimes as not just ninety nine year leases, but nine hundred and ninety nine year leases on on what you know in in what civilization as they as they claim would a 999 year lease be a, a legal instrument i mean the, these are some of the questions well there's a there's a lot of ways to look at like you're saying i guess but the question is where that we need to move on these and get some action done you know so well and and and, and, and again part of the question is when we say we, who's we? And, yeah, you know, because right. one of the things that can be a real impediment is is when people say, to you, well, if you all get together and you make an agreement, then, you know, you, you've got to have this like grand bargain on our side. And that sometimes is tough. I mean, and, and frankly, this idea of unity has been an obstacle because we have been so uh, fractionalized and factionalized in, in, uh, in our communities and everything from the role the churches have played to, um, you know, frankly, going back in, uh, in some of the history, the alliances with the British or with the colonies or, and, and all of these other, frankly, the, the Dutch, the French, the, you know, uh, you know, the British, all, all of it. Right. So right. it is, these have, these are been some of the things that have complicated. Now, when, when I look at things historically, there was almost no time in history that that some of our individuals did not feel empowered to make certain moves. You know, people always say, well, what side did the, the of the Revolutionary War did the Senecas fight on or the or the you know, or the Oneidas or, you know, the, the Stockbridge or, or any. Of and the reality is there's this brush that gets painted that says that there was some sort of national alignment of, of our nations on one side or the other. And that was rarely the case. Usually there were pockets of Senecas that might've engaged in, in, you know, some of the white man's of conflicts. There were pockets of Oneidas, pockets of Mohawks. And part of that was based on their own relationships, intermarrying, um, you know, some of the, uh, the other things that bound them. It was rarely a ordained, by council or grand council or nation council uh, move to endorse or support one side or the other. In fact, you will find more often that the, the position of the nations was, was, were positions of neutrality and it was individuals who made these decisions and they may not have been prohibited from doing so, but it, it complicates the story. So I say all that because when we look at where we're at now, there are very few examples of land acquisition, you know, from a Haudenosaunee standpoint. Um, and we can point to a couple of them, you know, some of them, the Oneidas re, um, reasserted themselves on what was considered the 32 acre parcel, but that was not necessarily a land claim. That was something that got tied into court because of a white man who was trying to assert um, uh, a, a legitimate title on the land and the court said wait a second no you you didn't you didn't get this legitimately so this wasn't even a land claim but that 32 acre parcel in in, in you know south of oneida new york um was something that was determined by a court because of you know because of a white man making a claim and so 
that's but that you know um spawned uh a, a resurgence of, of people oneida people moving back to that one parcel of land and, and establishing themselves the cayugas have have had some success in uh reasserting of course they got muddled uh, because of their their uh, their conflicts their, their internal conflicts um the Seneca Nation has a what is they call the the land acquisitions clause or what it is called the land acquisition clause of the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act. Um, that is a very streamlined process to uh, to reacquire lands that are are in their Aboriginal territory, uh, utilizing funds that were. Uh, uh, provided or, or given up by New York State and the federal government for what was considered an unfair lease of the city of Salamanca from the, the Allegheny Territory of the Seneca Nation. So there's that. The other one that's out there is, um, is Gunyange. Gunyange is among the only examples of land that was uh, that was taken back. That was that was taken through occupation land that had not necessarily been um, uh, recognized for for a long period of time as native territories. Um, but and this was a group of of Mohawks supported by people from other native territories who went into the Adirondacks and reclaimed um, uh, what was was essentially an old Girl Scouts camp, and they um, they did a you know an occupation that ultimately um, yielded a, a negotiation for moving to another parcel of land, which was you know kind of closer to Aquasasta and Gonawage. Uh, up near Plattsburgh, and that community of Gunyange, which and, and this started in the '70s, and here we are, you know, almost 30 years later, and uh, and that community still exists. Now, those aren't the only ones, and we'll, you and I will talk about some of the you know other things that have transpired. But it, it, it kind of gives you, you know, uh, an idea that yes, there are nation land claims, and then there are you know kind of a little bit more of a. Uh, of, and I want to just call them a ragtag bunch, but but a group that that said no, we've had enough, and we're going to take some land back, and and that's a little bit where we see things like you know fourteen ninety two land back lane up in Six Nations, some of the movement that is uh, that you know as I mentioned out of um, in the areas around Mount Rushmore and some of the Lakota territories, some of these territories that are slated for development or pipelines or mineral extraction. Native people are saying, no, we're, we're, we're taking it back. We're asserting our claim. Um, so there are options. But I think maybe what we can do here is, is talk about, you know, some of the, you know, maybe the upsides, the downsides and uh, and, and kick around some ideas. And and frankly, it, the best situation would be to have as many people unified and rallying around, you know, um, a an effort to reclaim lands, but we know that doesn't necessarily work out that way. Sometimes. I'm just trying to be a human bridge if I can, in some of this, you know, that's all I can try to connect, reconnect. Um, so we can do something, you know, we have to, we have to reach across the aisle on our own behalf, you know, and, well, I, yeah, I think so. Asserting, you know, establishing some common ground and trying to reach again. I don't think we shouldn't go into this with the intent of being divisive. I think we should, you know, try to speak to as many people as possible and and try to get as much support when you know in any any of these situations. Because at the end of the day, the more support we have, 
um, the better. And unfortunately, until something becomes sensational, you know, a newsworthy item, perhaps where, where your violence or abuse takes place, sometimes it's hard to get people, you know, engaged. And, and we should approach something like this, not with the intent of, of having a, a physical conflict over it, but, but trying to, to, to make a legitimate case. And, and that includes internally, you know, as far as us, the, the people who are trying to assert some of this claim, um, and the, the folks that, that may be opposed to it, uh, non-Native folks even. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. I, I think we should try to have as much outreach and a, as much support as possible. But in the absence of it, I think we should figure out strategic ways of doing something that, um, that may require less, you know, less unity or less solidarity. Uh, so those, those are my thoughts. Well, hopefully we can, can work some, uh, at least get some ideas going. That's well, clearly one of the, one of the, the ways you know, to acquire land is to, is to just buy it, you know, buy mm -hmm. land outright. And, and, and of course that's an option, you know, of course, when you do such a thing, what you've got is a, is a parcel of land that is on tax rolls and it is, you know, claimed by a, you know, a township or a County or jurisdictional issues. Um, and of course, some people say, well, how do you buy land that's really yours? Well, you know, my, my friend Sugar Montour used to say, I didn't buy the land back. I just paid the white people to leave it. And I'm OK with that. That's that's <laughs> that's a good way, way to view it. But, you know, there is the the always the potential of buying land and and you can do a lot on a parcel of land, depending on, you know, what the town codes are and, and that kind of stuff. There there are some things that you can do. You can also do some things that perhaps bend those rules or you know come right up to the edge of those rules and and once you're occupying a, a parcel of land however you come to that you know to that acquisition um you can we can push the issue you know there's there are gifts there are wills or uh, be, what are they called? do they call bequeathments i mean there, there are people who bequeath lands uh to um to native peoples and there's been there's been interest in doing that for for a number of years we've you know you may have have gotten some of those calls over the years i've had people say well, what if i wanted to you know donate my my old farm and you know what i know people who have done that not necessarily to native people but to not-for-profit organizations 501c3s that that establish you know perhaps perhaps an ag cooperative and that kind of stuff so there are ways of of doing some some of that things once you have have made the acquisition by whichever you know however it happens um, there are there are lots of options that that may not be you know as you know flagrantly um, you know occupying and taking the land you know you know from the state or the county or whatever else. You know, there, there are ways of doing this that 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 kind of stay this side of uh, of drawing that line. And and I'm not opposed to that either. I, I think there are different strategies that could be employed depending on how, you know, how we approach uh, how we approach land. There, there are there are land trusts, not just feed a trust and, and the federal government holding land in trust for native people um, as a part of that feed a trust process. But there are state land trusts. There are educational trusts. There are. You know, there are any 
there are any number of ways that you can put land into a uh, you know some sort of binding trust that will prevent it from you know being sold off or and, and there may be some stipulations you put on what that land will be used for so it never gets you know exploited in the you know environmentally let's say or, or whatever else so there there are ways of of creating you know um a an occupation so to speak uh, that are not necessarily, you know, some, you know, armed takeover like like Gunyange was. And in fact, I, what I'll say about Gunyange, Gunyange may have started with a bunch of people occupying lands and and defending their right to be there, but that standoff that existed from Gunyange ultimately turned into the state saying, "Well, we've got we've got this other land. We would we, we would um, would rather have you." look at this land and and uh and take this in trade so you know i i heard some new york state politicians saying well that's like somebody stealing your car and then you you trade them a cadillac to get your lincoln back or something like that which is you know somebody who's not happy about and that and that was um mario cuomo who was i think the lieutenant governor or state attorney general or something i don't know but he he's the one who negotiated the um the trade for what is now Ganyange from what was, you know, Moss Lake, um, the Moss Lake occupation. And now that land, and, and this is kind of an interesting play, that land is held, as far as the state is concerned, that land is held in trust as an educational trust. And and they've they've reacquired and added to that land that they originally acquired by swapping out that land in Moss Lake for this land up near uh, closer to, to Plattsburgh. And, but, but the Mohawks, the, the, the Gunyagahaga people who were, who were there saying, look, as far as we're concerned, this is our land. You can paper this. However, you've got to paper this. So there exists a, 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 a land trust, a, a board of trustees that are not native that are kind of, the names on the on the documents and again there's like there's two different views of how this land exists there's the mohawk view and then there's the state's view but the reality is the state has kind of yielded in many you know to a large extent um towards the mohawk view of that land even though officially on paper it's still just land held in held in some sort of educational trust so i i put that out there so people understand there are creative ways of accomplishing. And, and to be clear, Ganyange has a bingo hall. They've got a gas station. They have, you know, gaming revenue that comes in. They've done, you know, you know all kinds of, you know, development, everything from a golf course to, you know, to other uh, retail. Um, they have homes there. They don't get building permits. They, they accept no funding from the state. And in fact, when some issues were raised about jurisdictional issues, that was one of the judges, and I'm, I can't remember the judge's name, but one of the judges said, so these, this community is existing in the absence of any state and, uh, state and federal funding. Um, so why do we think we have the right to, you know, to impose our will? So there, it, it's, it's a, again, um, a strange um, uh, scenario because it, it, does, it, it doesn't fit the you know most of what people think is is the mold for native people reacquiring lost land but i guess what it's what's it, what i want to say is that it give, it's a testament to what creativity can uh can produce if you can have willing participants and you know sit down to a, a negotiating table and and 
even if what part of the agreement, like with Ganyange, is the agreement to disagree on what the status of that land is. Mohawk say it's Mohawk land. Um, the state says it's trust land. Well, that you know, I guess that's that's a debate. You know, one of the things that was always said about Ganyange is, you know, everybody's still willing to sit at the table, even if they're only eating pizza and chicken wings. They're still willing to sit at the table. So, I, I mean. And I know this doesn't give concrete answers to, to like your question. I mean, and, you know, part of your question is what what if Seneca's wanted to go back to Gowanus? And and I think that's where you're still, you know, somewhat, you know, um, trying to figure out an answer to that. Yeah, it's it's a little different because we're separated by space, you know, 40 minutes away from Tonawanda. It's not like you can occupy uh, as in land back 1492, something that's right there. Yeah, the edge of your territory, sure, yeah. yeah. So you, that's a little different situation, um, but uh, trying to get to something that's in, at Tonawanda, which is the stamp plant, which is, uh, we spoke before, that's the science and technology advanced manufacturing park, mm-hmm. which is on the eastern border of Tonawanda. So that's right up against our boundary. So if, if we were to occupy that land, because that, that coincides with the 1826 treaty of Canawagus is involved with, along with the other Genesee um, territories, except for little Beardstown, which was ratified in 1803. So that's where I'm at from here, you know, trying to um, connect the two, with the land, land back, if you would, mm-hmm. concept. But then it also comes in a matter of time, um, action, because you've talked before that, you know, this historical um, erasure uh, is taking place because if something like that happens, we can't come back with a landscape later and grow or get that territory back. Because there's an industrial park there. Or Canawagus, there's a solar farm there. You know, so it's it's a matter of action, I guess, you know, on on these uh, these ideas or coming together on something. Because you then it's going to be um, already there and established. So, Well, uh, and, I, and I think it's important to, to, to acknowledge that you know, courts who, you know, oftentimes end up being the, the final arbiter of, uh, you know, of some of these, these claims of, of land title and that kind of stuff, they weigh all that stuff in. I mean, uh, it isn't about whether land was legitimate, l- legitimately ceded or, or, or sold or, or whatever else. As far as the courts are concerned, they, they consider the time factor and they consider about how inconvenient it, it will be, you know, and how disturbing it will be to the non-natives, not not to how disturbing you know our life has become on native territory. That's not their consideration. So if you're going to try to take over something that's been developed, they're going to say, "Well, what that development? What's going to? You know, what about all the money that was put into that? What about the solar farm that was built?" So you're right. If we don't you know strike before development happens on our territory, it, it doesn't matter how legitimate our claim is because that's not the way the courts view this thing. I mean, they they really do take a view on this thing. 
Um, all right. Well, so much time has elapsed and you haven't been there for you to make this claim now, uh, even if it's, you know, it has some legitimacy in terms of the fraud that was committed, you know, when the land was lost, we've got to, we've got to factor in how much of a, of, uh, you know, how disruptive this would be to white people. I mean, and I, and I say white people, I just mean to Americans, I guess. So, Hey, look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll, we'll take a break and we'll come back. But I want to talk more about this because I think this is, this is part of the strategy, I think, is to, is to try to figure out how we approach not just expanding our borders, but looking at, at lands that were ancestral ours, you know, like, like Gowanus, even if it's 40 minutes away from the, from the closest established territory, does that mean that we have to give up on it? I don't know. We'll, t- we'll take a break. This is John Kane. I've got Paul Whitney as my guest. We'll be right back after this. Back then I used to drive off Mason. Those cops not used to the faces. We got, they would run my plates in. We stopped, but I just left work. Well, I restocked, but they see my whip and see pots on my outfit. They think treetop got a head full of steam like a teapot. Better do what he say. Oh, you get shot. Ooh, who are you? See you like red must be a pop rule. If you went to work, why bring the crew? What you think? Black folks don't carpool. Better would have been a crib if my shirt turned blue. Keep your hands on the wheel, sir. Ten and two. I stopped this car because you did too dark. You know that's a lie. That ain't true. It's because I all right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Um, I do have a guest uh, joining me. I've got uh, Paul Winnie, who is uh, Tonawanda Seneca. Uh, Paul was was a major organizer in uh, in the the protest rally, if you will, um, that uh, addressed the the solar farm that's being developed on ancestral Seneca lands. The uh, the what was the community of Gonawanus. Um uh, or Gowanus, I'm sorry, I got to get this right. Um, look, you know, the, the unfortunate part is, you know, the land claims have not, uh, in terms of going into court to sue for land back, has not gone very well. Uh, and, and even when you get some sort of ruling your way, it is, it's rarely ever definitive. I mean, the, the Oneidas had a, uh, you know, a, a case, you know, back in the, in the 90s, um, where a majority decision, it wasn't unanimous, and I think it was only like 5-4, so it was a thin uh, you know, majority ruling, acknowledged that the Oneidas had right to sue for, uh, for, uh, for title or, or damages from lands that were unlawfully um, you know, ceded um, or taken. And, but that didn't solve anything. It didn't, it didn't like grant the Oneida's land. And, and in fact, as the Oneida nation acquired lands within that claim area, uh, with the intent of taking it off the tax rolls, that still became a challenge in court. So even lands that were purchased in the open market where nobody is being dispossessed of lands, um, it becomes a challenge when, when a town says, well, we don't agree that the land can come off the tax rolls or even in a situation where a trust is established or, you know, a, a land purchase that is, you know, that is still essentially a state or county deed. Um, the, it gives the opportunity for the non-native governing system around there or that claims authority to say, we don't agree with, agree with the land use or the, 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 you know, or what's happening there. So, um, you, you asked me during the break, you know, we ultimately end up in, in a court. Well, I think there is a difference between us going into court, expecting the court to, to rule in our favor, because in essentially what we're saying is we're going to give the court, we are going to give the court 
the authority to make a ruling about our legitimacy on a piece of land. And so when we go in as a, as a willing participant or, or as, a, as a plaintiff uh, in a case, we are, we are essentially by Im implying that we are prepared to accept the outcome of that court. You know, yeah, there's appeals and that kind of stuff. But, but if, if we get brought into court as a defendant, and part of our defense is the illegitimacy of a of a land you know of the you know the land transfer that you know where we where we lost um, our you know, our right to be on that land. Um, I, I think it's a little different. I always say that it's it's one thing to be dragged into the court. It's one it's another thing you know to to pray that the court will you know will give you satisfaction. Um, but but this is tough. So this is where where we come to right. We come to this place where we got to figure out. Um, how do we either avoid the the showdown um, or how do we prepare ourselves that if we are being sued that we can that we can defend ourselves adequately and change um, change the status by being challenged, not by actually doing the challenging? Yeah, I mean, we talked about before too that what I was concerned was the boiling down to a doctor of doctrine of discovery trump card as in the shirell case that that we can't overturn that but we but we have to be prepared in an argument to try to get around that somehow uh that's well, in, in all well, of these legal, too, so. in all of these legal proceedings, what happens is, you know, people cite cases and they try to assert precedents on, on right. why a, a court should rule a certain way, or you know, and and of course the 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 part of the danger is that by being in court and and accepting the court's jurisdiction over a case, you are you are already operating within the constitutional confines of the United States, which. You know, this is where where it's always difficult for those of us who may feel like we are not bound by the U.S. constitutions. You know, so that's a challenge. But but again, getting back to defending ourselves, one of the things, and you mentioned the 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 Cheryl case, the the city of Cheryl versus the United Nation. In this situation, the United had purchased lands, and then they established a couple of gas stations and sea stores, and they essentially stopped paying taxes on the land. And the the, the Supreme, it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled. And I almost think it was, I think it was near unanimous. If I, I don't, it might've been seven, one, but it was near unanimous. Eight one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and the, uh, the, the opinion was written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's the, you know, again, liberal darling of the court at the time, uh, uh, recently passed away. Um, by many accounts considered a champion of civil rights and that kind of thing. But she wrote the opinion as well. And when you read the opinion and you realize what she and the court, not, and not just her by herself, but what the court was utilizing as the, the precedents uh, for, for ruling against the Oneidas, um, it, it doesn't take a, a real legal genius to realize that they're wrong, that they were wrong. One of, and, and, and I'll explain. The, the three, the two legal doctrines that they cited as the... Um, as the reason for ruling against the Oneidas. One was called latches, which is, sorry, you waited too long. Um, no, I take it back. There's, there's three. One's called latches, which is, sorry, you waited too long. 
Uh, the other one's called the, the doctrine of acquiescence, means that your silence for this period of time suggests that, um, uh, well, that you were silent for too long. And then the third is called the doctrine of impossibility. Now, I, and, and the doctrine of, of impossibility cites a case out in Lakota territory, the Yankton Sioux uh, territory, I think, where they said um, once land has been lost jurisdi jurisdictionally, you know, once another jurisdiction, a state or county jurisdiction or township has asserted jurisdiction over land, Native people cannot reclaim that jurisdiction. So, and that was considered the doctrine of impossibility. So she cites, you know, you know, cases to support latches, acquiescence, and, uh, and impossibility. Now, to be clear, <laughs> we couldn't be heard in court. We, we were not considered legally... Um, um, we didn't have the legal standing to be in court. You, you mentioned in, in our conversations that the Indian Land Claims Commission, and this was a way to to try for the United States to try to solve land claims issues without ever giving us a day in court. They had, you know, they had you know, a process, but it wasn't it wasn't court. So we couldn't even be heard in court. We had no standing to be in court. Part of the reason we lost many lands due to leases. Yeah, especially these 99-year leases and these 999-year leases is because when the uh, the people who were leasing the land stopped paying, we had no we had no recourse. We couldn't take them into court because we had no standing in those courts. So when when I hear things like latches and, and acquiescence used, that is just I mean, that is just terrible. I mean, and 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 it's false because you can't claim that somebody waited too long if we never had the had the opportunity, but. At the time the courts finally started hearing land claims, we, you know, we were there. We were making those cases. The Oneidas were making those cases. So when I hear that stuff, it, it is just so weak. And the doctrine of impossibility, like I said, for Ruth Bader Ginsburg to cite the doctrine of possibility, you citing cases from, uh, from Yankton Sioux territory, 1,300 miles away, and, you know, frankly, what was essentially 80 years earlier, and not acknowledge that in Seneca territory in 1990, now her ruling came in 2000, 2005, but in 1990, an act of Congress acknowledged that the Senecas could reacquire lost lands and they could assert jurisdiction. So a case only a couple hundred miles down the road, you know, only 15 years prior, clearly suggested that there was no doctrine of impossibility, that there was possibilities for, for Native people to reacquire lost land and assert jurisdiction on, on that land. So her ruling was wrong. And shame on the Oneida legal team, whatever they were, for not driving home the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act and the Land Acquisitions Clause because it could have destroyed the, the argument against the doctrine of impossibility. I mean, a lower court had ruled that that, that was not a legal doctrine because uh, no people were being displaced. But again, as you've mentioned in our conversations, this is another example of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg still talking about just how inconvenienced the uh, you know the the non-native people would be, how disruptive it would be to the town, how disruptive it would be to the county, how disruptive it would be to the state. So it was again, there is a disproportionate, or, or you know, I'll say it, there, there's a racist view on who can be inconvenienced and who can't be inconvenienced. So I think this is a you know this is a, an example where. When we, we get into court, we should have all our ducks in a row because I think the Oneidas missed an opportunity. But having said that, 
I don't know that the opportunity still isn't there to challenge not just that, but even her footnote mention of the doctrine of discovery, something that we have still have not pressed uh, the issue with. Although I will say that the um, Yakima case involving um, uh, fuel delivery from native territory to native territory, um, the Yakima nation submitted uh, an amicus brief to an individual who was being sued and half of that brief was uh, was bound on uh, the treaties that the that the Yakima nation had with the United States the other half was challenging the whole premise of the doctrine of discovery among the first times that I've seen where a nation has been willing to challenge the doctrine of discovery in court well I'd be willing to challenge it too but um, when you talk about uh, inconvenience, but I'm sure there was inconvenience when they decided to put a casino in downtown Buffalo for somebody. Yep, and, and and obviously that was challenged, <laughs> and uh, and and the challenge was was lost. But I guess you know, I it, was it more of an inconvenience than than the Pagulos building a bunch of ice rinks, ice skating rinks. I don't know, but <laughs> so I guess you could argue you could argue that. But um, and that's and that is part of what I would say is a is a legitimate debate. Um, of course, once the Senecas reacquired that land, you know, frankly, the non-native. Um, uh, view on it became became moot i mean once that was seneca land and and basically what, what's unique about the seneca's land acquisition clause is that land doesn't become trust land that land goes reverts back to original title so it's seneca land um and i think this is one of those areas that that people don't realize that there are varying degrees of uh of status, I guess, land status. There's, there's trust land there, you know, as I mentioned, there's buying land and, and, and holding it in, you know, state or, or county deeds. There's, there's trust land that at the state level, there's trust land at the federal level. Then there's, there's original title. There's not a whole lot of, of places where there's original title and, you know, native people that are surrounded by New York state, we do live predominantly with the advantage of having that land recognized distinctly as native lands and and there's some there's some ripples in that but uh um but it's it, it is kind of a unique status that that we hold you know most of our lands in. and that's always being challenged because frankly there are are you know the Cayugas, you know, some of the Cayugas are entertaining trust land. The Oneidas, as they've resolved this this dispute over the Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, opinion and, and that ruling, um, have worked out other arrangements with the with the state and the federal government to to have some of the land that they've acquired be put in uh, and held in trust. Something that is that is not something that we have done much of. And, and so it, it changes our arguments and our status about, uh, you know, that, that land status to some degree. Yeah. The, the factor of them always going to be wanting to encroach upon us leaves us no other, I see no other choice, but to counteract that by doing something about it in present day. Well, and they encroach in that they encroach both physically and jurisdictionally. So that, that encroachment has uh, you know a couple of different factors to it too. But but you're right. I mean, as we try to figure out how we are going to sustain ourselves, oftentimes with, with a growing population, or you know, um, or with other opportunities that may require uh, more land acquisition, it it is on us to to try to do something to counteract the the encroachment of 
not just the physical encroachment, but the jurisdictional encroachment on our territories. And cultural. Yeah, well, and, and, and cultural, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I I I still sometimes, you know, you know, question how how is it that native territories that oftentimes are struggling, you know, to have lands available for homes and you know and various other projects still have so many churches on their lands. So that you know that's a perfect example of of a cultural uh, encroachment that exists on our territories. Yeah, I think we need to understand that both um native and non-native of the real history that's behind all of, all of this um well, line acquisition and such and and history is, is an important part of uh, you know understanding that history gives us a lot more guidance for uh, to how we're going to deal with the stuff in the future you know i will say that look i i think we are at a better place um, from an education standpoint and i don't mean you know uh, law degrees and that kind of stuff but just our awareness of what took place. I oftentimes when I talk about there being this, this breakthrough, uh, you know, I cite what's happening in Hawaii because, you know, for generations, the, the Hawaiians just accepted that, that the Hawaiian kingdom was annexed by the, uh, the United States. Then they've, then they've learned in this, in this last couple of generations that there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of illegal occupation involved and and that there was no annexation treaty. So for us, it's just like with with them kind of um, renewing their opposition to uh, to occupation, I think the more that we learn about what what had actually transpired, I mean, look, there's been so many fraudulent land deals that were done and, and understanding that fraud isn't necessarily about creating a legal case you know, against a county or a town or individuals. It's about understanding that when we, when push comes to shove, that we can make an argument that what, when anybody else tries to claim that land is legitimately theirs, that we can make an argument that they, they can't prove it either. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of been having to do all this homework ever since June, like I stated, as far as us getting involved with the solar thing on the Genesee Valley and Seneca and Iroquois, uh, lands and treaties and stuff and i'm just sort of catching up like uh the i'm just now getting the helen hunt jackson book on century of dishonor mm-hmm. which is from the 1880s writing about all the government uh bad deals with the indian tribes so well know, and, and, a, and a lot of that stuff of reporting on you know their mistreatment of us. Well, and, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of our research, the research that you're doing and some of the stuff that I've done gives you insight about the intent and how, you know, even as they made agreements with us, they made them knowing that they were going to break them. I mean, the, right. so they, they entered into these agreements. I go back to, you know, guys like Thomas Jefferson and uh, uh, William Henry Harrison, when he was the governor of, of, of Indiana territory and, uh, and Jefferson was the president where Jefferson is is literally telling Harrison, it is important that we cultivate their love. We, we've got to convince them that every, anything that we're doing is out of the goodness of our hearts, even though what we're going to do is we're going to run them into debt and we're going to try to get them to lop off that debt with their land. I mean, so, I mean, the, the level of deceit that went in even into treaty making and into any of these land deals. I mean, look, somebody enters into a 999 year lease. Do you think they, they really plan on paying that? Of course they didn't. And, and 
I'm sure they were they were advised by legal counsel to some extent to say, look, once you're in there, they're not going to get those Indians aren't going to get you off of there. I mean, I'm sure that was the attitude that they had that once they got in and, and established a presence on our land, it didn't matter if if, if there was uh, if they were only there on a lease. So this is the level of deceit that took place, you know, and of course. The, the other thing that's hidden in all this stuff is some of the deceit that existed uh, amongst our own ranks. We had, you know, we had leadership that was that were making bad deals, and sometimes they were getting paid, you know, on the side themselves. And so there's there, look there there, there's a lot of ugliness in this history, and most of it gives gives a pretty good indication that there was a lot of illegitimate land dealings that were done where Native people were the victims of the loss here. Yeah, it's a time trauma thing that we just still live with. Well, generational, and, and, generational thing that, you know, we <laughs> I, I'm just saying we need to flip the page and, you know, um, take a stand on stuff. Well, and like I said, I think there are various options, but but you're right. When you talk about the trauma, the, the hard part is, man, you, you, we travel through some of these lands and they're still using the names that we called the places. They're, they're, they're using the names that what we, that we called the rivers or the lakes or the, or the areas. They, they put their historical markers up. And so we're driving down the road and we see this, this blue sign that's going to tell, you know, tell us that we once were there. And you know, so there's like a constant reminder. Uh, and you know, these markers somehow make it, seem like it was legitimate when it wasn't. So you're right. This is, this is trauma that we're experiencing every time we assess the loss um, of our lands and, and the communities and keep in, and, and I think it, you know, for, for those who may forget the very words that we call ourselves are, are connected to the land. So when we say, you know, the, you know, Onundawago. We, we're talking about the the people of those hills. Of you know, so it's it's the it's the land. It's the 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 Onyotaaga, the, pe- the 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 people of the standing stones, or the Ganyagahaga, the people of the land of Flint. The land is 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 in integral to to our being and to our identity. And you know, and this is what's so tough because during those removal years, when we were being pushed from from region to region, so many Native peoples were literally shoved off of. In, in entirety off, off of their ancestral lands. I mean, um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, I, I think about uh, the Mohawks, the Nyugahaga. There's, we have, we only now see a slight presence back in the Mohawk Valley. You know, there's a, there's a couple of efforts that are going on there, but, you know, and, and so this is the challenge, right? This is the challenge for us to figure out how do we, you know, how do we land back? You know, how, how do we how do we approach trying to get some of our uh, uh, some of our lands returned? And, I think back to that original thing is, you know, that's where our medicines come from. There you we, go. We need to reestablish that um, territories uh, just for our, our own our own sake that uh, to, to reestablish our connection with um the birth of the Senecas, whether it's Bear Hill or any of that area down there, you know. Well, yeah, and in, in, in our, uh, you know, people use this expression as long as the they say the rivers flow and the grass grows and, and, and that kind of stuff, and, and that this will be the treaty, right? This has been language, but it's not river flows. In, in, you know, the way it was taught to me is that we talk about as long as the water flows, 
And that water isn't just rivers. It's the water of childbirth. So when you talk about lands where, where, where Senecas or, or Oneidas or, or Mohawks were born, you think about how much water passed through our women, even in childbirth, to, to those lands. And so there's, it isn't just about our blood in those lands. It's, it's the water of new life that, uh, that has flowed. So, and without getting too, too spiritual, um, that, that, this is tangible. This is, this is really a physical thing that, that connects us to the land because the, the water of our mothers flowed with every birth onto, in, into that soil. Yeah, I mean, what I'm calling is for is, I mean, in lines of spirituality is that the people need to create this energy to move in that direction mm-hmm. so that the thought process actually will happen eventually down the road if we can come together. Well, and and again, I think the some of the research that you've done and others have done, I think is important. I think, I think first we have to, believe we have a case and i don't mean a legal case i mean that we have a legitimate um argument for for reasserting our uh you know our our presence in in some of these lands and i think once we understand just how wronged we were and that really that we have to take it on ourselves that the only way to right the wrong is land back it, it is the idea of reclaiming and reasserting you know even if it's small pockets of people in various places, I think we should work to be you know, to to you know scatter as many small groups, villages, if you will, you know, across all of our ancestral lands. And you know, one of the things that, I, and I'll say this as we close out the show here, I always, um, as I as I saw in New York State and, and other places struggling economically, and and we're going to see more of that coming, you know, coming soon now with. Uh, in the wake of this, you know, COVID-19. And I'm not trying to be necessarily opportunistic, but, you know, I know when they went through the financial crisis in in 2007, 2008, I had hoped as states became more austere in their budgeting uh, that that, uh, the willingness for the state to give up state lands or maybe even parks would have been something that we could have considered. So, um, you know, who knows? We don't know what opportunities, you know, the future holds for us, but I think, doing the work that you're doing, which is, which is really, really notable. And, uh, um, I think is an important step on to where we need to go. Well, I can tell you that (laughs) I was in a little quandary of where, where, where I could go with the, uh, the land back, uh, idea because of the, the bad history that I was reading. And then when we talked, but you know, they're, they're, I believe there, there's got to be a way that I we think can so. think we can think this out and 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 give and take whatever it takes to to create a seventh generation ideal. I think that some of these things are more than a generation that you and I might not see some stuff, but we need to. It takes such a long time that it that it can have enough momentum to go into the next generation for your grandchild to to pick up the piece and then keep it keep it moving. Well, and and you you make a great point because there are minds that are going to be better than ours in the future, you know, that may be better equipped to make, you know, um decisions and and use judgment. So I think we should do everything we can to keep it alive and to create something that, you know, that somebody can take a little farther each time. 
Um, I, I don't, we, we should never give up. We should never give up. I've spent time listening, listening to a lot of elders during my life. And I'm just a, you know, follow up sequence to them. There you go. There you so go. From 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s till now. So, well, Paul, I want to thank you for joining me again. Uh, great show. Great conversation. We're going to keep it going. Um, I'd love to have you back. I think this is a, a conversation that we need to continue to have. And as things become, um, you know, apparent to us, I think we should share them. And hopefully, you know, th- this show will will inspire some other folks to, you know, to do more as we go forward. So thanks again for joining me. And I want to thank you for listening and, uh, and, and joining us here on Let's Talk Native. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. How you gon' lie when you look me in my eyes and you show me a facade? Show me a facade. How you gon' lie when you look me in my eyes and you show me a facade? Show me a facade. You a lie. You a front. You say anything long as you get what you want. Tryna play me like a fool. Homie, I am not a clown. It ain't nothing but a game cause all you do is mess around. Now I'm on the verge of a meltdown. 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 meltdown.